Praise God. Praise God. I think the sermon has been preached in that amazing song and that tremendous spoken word portion that Pastor Jeremy had. Give him a hand this morning if you would please. I know you've been up and down quite a bit, but I'm going to ask you just one more time before you settle in and make sure you don't sit on that piece of chocolate there. <laughs> We're talking about the hinge point of history this morning. This is a critical time that literally radically transformed everything and changed the whole world. A new creation began on this day 2,000 years ago. So this morning we want to find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. We have five verses of scripture. Read with me, please, together. Here we go. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's key. I want you to Grab that one more time. Say that part. Here we go. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Last verse, you are witnesses of all these things. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are overwhelmed this morning as we stand in your presence. As we stand, thank you today that we are blood covered, that we are grace bought, that we are God loved that we are accepted in the beloved, and today it is not because of anything that we have done to earn or deserve, but it's all because of all that Jesus is and has done for us and through us and in us. God, I just acknowledge before you that, as I always do, I desperately need you. Please, Holy Spirit, move by the power of your presence in this place today. Lord, impress upon our hearts the amazing truths of this simple story that we come back and again and again are literally held in wonder and awe at your power, at your glory, at your love, at your mercy, all of these things that come together in a symphony of the love of God. Thank you today as we stand in your presence. We acknowledge before you that we need you. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Even as Jesus did the disciples in this moment, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the reason we pray that, God. We always ask for that, and I ask you to do it again today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in God's presence. I want to very briefly look at three vignettes in this important chapter in the Gospel of Luke. I've preached over 25 Easter services and have used as the text every one of the Easter resurrection passages in the Gospels and many times great passages that are found in the epistles of Paul. This morning, this week, as I was looking over it and praying, I really kept, 
I was drawn back again and again, and I kept looking over them, and there are a number of places, there are questions that I could have asked, and I, I really looked at two or three ways to do this in the way that Jesus looked at Peter one day and said, whom do men say that I am? And he responded with what everybody was saying about Jesus, which was one of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist raised from the dead, Elijah. All of these things were said about Jesus and Jesus took that important question and he turned it around, not just posed to the group, but he looks at Peter directly and he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's a question that I believe that we all have to, at some point in our lives, come to grips with an answer and not just the fact that we believe in Jesus because the world believes in Jesus. They acknowledge the fact that there was a historical person who has affected world and changed history. Changed history so much to the degree that historians began to date things and tell the stories of the past based on the birth of Christ. Everything was dated B.C., before Christ, and then A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Revisionist historians have attempted to try and extract, no different than dictators and tyrants throughout history who've attempted to snuff out the name of Jesus and the, the fervor and the hope that is in the hearts of Christians. My heart breaks this morning because I think about 140 kids in an African nation that were gunned down in the persecuted church around the world. I'm broken. I'm broken up so much because it's not just the fact that Jesus gave his life, but there were those of his first century disciples who would literally become the last phrase we read this morning. You are witnesses of these things. Greek word marturion. We get our English word martyr from it. There are those who have given their lives in martyrdom. They have laid down to become a living and then a dying witness of Jesus Christ. I asked the question about the United States of America and the state that we're in right now, whether or not there would be anybody left if gunmen rushed into this congregation this morning and said, if you want to live, you better get out of here. You better recant Jesus and we'll let you out. But if you're going to keep him as your Savior and Lord, then you're going you're to meet him. And I believe that there are a number of folks that would be willing to say, yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. And because we have the hope, we have the amazing hope of, of, of immediately being ushered into his presence because the Bible tells us that if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And I think that many times that there are some of us who would be ready to take that step of faith. But I just want to ask you, I want to implore you, though I believe that's a critically important one, isn't it even more important that you would be willing to walk out of here at the end of this service today and actually live tomorrow for Jesus Christ? I mean, I mean, it's an amazing thing. I am not minimizing. I, I, I really want to believe that if I were called upon that moment that God would give me grace and I would be able to say, hey, I'm ready to go. Boom, take me. But I believe the greater challenge is for me to trust God in the moment. Trust God sometimes when things are dark. Trust God when things are confusing. Trust God when I don't have any answers. And that really is what the whole Easter story is about. That really is what these people are seeing when... A group of ladies, thank God for the women. They've just been so put down and been the underdogs in history. As a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, they were a little bit just barely above chattel, just barely above a piece of property, and really not much different in the Hebrew mindset. 
And I think about the opening of this chapter in, 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 in Luke chapter 24 where we find just a group of women who had to go out on Saturday evening a dark time in their hearts because the hopes that they had had previously had been dashed to pieces. The hopes of a kingdom where love was the center and they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and everything was an upside-down kingdom where you, where you died to live and you, you gave in order to receive and you served in order to lead or to reign. The miracles that abounded, all of the things that had changed so quickly. Think about how quickly things can change in your life. It just takes a phone call and a piece of news. A week ago, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem had been crowded out with all of the shouts of people that says, Crown him king. Hosanna to the highest. And they waved the palm branches and they laid their coats down in the way. I have, I have walked along that very way, coming down off the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem that Jesus took. And I thought as that procession took place, as people lined the lined the little narrow alley on both sides, shouting, Hosanna to the King. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. And a week later, something dramatically has shifted. Leading religious officials and high priests have plotted along with one of the disciples of Jesus who betrayed him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And as Passover is approaching and the people are expecting God to do incredibly amazing things, it's just so strange that all of those episodes where Jesus was talking about being lifted up, the Son of Man being lifted up and drawing all men to himself and and, and, and all of these different passages where he would talk to disciples about how he must lay down his life. It's just almost as if they were in a blur and they had forgotten entirely about every one of those portions of his important words. And something had changed dramatically. All of that had come blurring down on them as they prepared for the feast of Passover because Friday had arrived and they weren't looking up at a king that was crowned, but they were looking up at a Messiah that was dying on the cross. This shock and awe. Everybody say shock and awe. This, this shock and awe that they were in had captivated them. They, the word had just gotten out after the strange phenomenon of a noonday darkness. Scientists today would probably describe it as a very natural phenomenon of an eclipse that had taken place. But the scripture says the darkness was pervasive and it covered and it hung. It, it, it was thick and it was a veil of death that had appeared over Jerusalem at the time when God would hang suspended between heaven and earth and Jesus would cry the, the, um, the inimitable words that he would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The earth quaked. It had been a couple of days and word had just gotten out to this group of people that some destruction had taken place at the very same moment that this had happened, that Jesus gave up the ghost and bowed his head and died after he had cried out those amazing words, It is finished! The temple had been destroyed. 
The veil had been rent from top to bottom. It was as if God had grown weary of being captivated in the little 10 by 10 by 10 box, the cube that the Israelites had chosen in their minds to confine God to. Behind that thick veil, six inches thick, written about in the works of Josephus that it took a number of men to hang, that hid the presence of the most holy, the most holy place where God himself was in presence in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. It was as if God said, I've had enough of this, and he rips the veil from the top to the bottom. The temple, the natural temple that had been the very depiction of housing the presence of God, it's as if God moved out. He had evicted. He had left. You want to know why? Because the temple of God in the earth now was no longer anything that could be made out of stone or out of hands or out of bricks or mortar. But the temple of God had been the man of God, the God-man, and he was going to go into hell and pay the price for humanity, for the sins of the whole world. Somebody say amen. amen. The women had wept to the point of exhaustion. The men had all scattered. Thank God for the women because when the men had all gone home, the women were the last ones at the cross. They saw Jesus breathe the last breath. They saw him move through that period of prayer as he's meditating on Psalm 22 and he cries out what G.K. Chesterton calls the moment of dereliction. It was his alienation where he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Chesterton says that's the moment when every atheist can identify with this story. God, where are you? There's a moment in our lives where whether you are a complete non-believer or you're open and you're questioning or you are fully convinced and you are believing, there is a moment in every one of our lives where we go through what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, Jacob's trouble. Genesis 32, book of Jeremiah. It's where we wrestle with God and where, where, where we wonder whether or not what we've believed is really true. And this is the moment these women had, had given everything. They had, they had been completely loyal. They had trusted. They had served. And they had looked with expectation and hope to see a kingdom come. And they saw the Messiah that they had hoped in now dying on a piece of Roman wood. Bold and brutal crucifixion. They'd observed him hanging there and the conversation that took place between him and the two thugs on the cross. They had gathered, they, they had basically said, you know, he's gone. It's time now to get up. The men are out basically forlorn and scorned and hurt and wounded and the women basically jumped in and said, it's time now for us to go take care of business. So Saturday evening they had gone to the market before it had closed at the end of the day and they picked up the necessary spices that would be required for them to go to the tomb and anoint Jesus' body for burial. So they go early Sunday morning on the third day, forgetting all of the things that Jesus had said about what was going to happen. They go expecting to anoint a dead body, to finally make, 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 make their peace with the past and let all of their hopes go and lay them down to be buried. They have the spices, they're ready to go in and prayerfully and with, with tears weep over the body of the one in whom they had placed their hopes. This is what is so amazing, folks. When God is involved, look at your neighbor and say, when, when God is involved, 
listen to me. What you come to do and what you end up doing many times are two different things. Come on, stay with me now. They went to anoint a dead body and when they got there, some angels said, why are you seeking the living among dead things? He is not here. And the angels told them and reminded them about what the word of the Lord had prophesied concerning Jesus in the whole Old Covenant. And and then I love this. Put this verse up for me, guys, if you would. Everybody read it here. It says, then they remembered that he had said this. See, this is the work of the Holy Spirit because when you're in a dark place, in a dark night of the soul, that's when you need to be open to letting the Spirit of God remind you of some things that Jesus has said. Come on, somebody. Then they remembered that Jesus had said this. I love it. And I love that God orchestrated the fact that there would be women who would be the first ones who would witness the fact that the tomb was empty. The lowest of the low of society in that day are the ones who get to bear the first news of the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. And that is that Jesus Christ is now King of kings and Lord of lords. He has conquered death. God has come and he is now King of the earth. Because sin has been forgiven, the curse has been broken, death basically no longer has a sting, it has been done away with forever. Jesus reigns from this point. They came for one reason, but they left with another. And I believe that those of you that are here this morning, if you're not here by accident, you may have come for one reason. It may have been to make your mom happy or make your wife happy or make your girlfriend happy or make your boyfriend happy or whatever. You've come for one reason, but I believe in, in the encountering of the presence of God, you will leave with another reason different than the one you came with. Come on, somebody. Quickly, they dispel and they grab a hold, they, they dispense They move off and they head off with the excitement that this one who was dead now is alive. And they start to tell people about it. And then we see a different vignette, number two, as we roll into the second part of Luke chapter 24. And the disciples are on the road to to Emmaus and it's a group of men this time who have actually heard the news that the women who were at the tomb, the two Marys, Joanna, and uh, several other women, the Bible says, All go to the tomb and they come back and they tell a couple of the disciples and the word has begun to spread. And so the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. They're heading about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, for you to get a perspective here, let's drive across the bridge. We're in downtown Memphis and there used to be a sign where it would say West Memphis and it would say seven miles. Maybe that's off of the old bridge. So it was literally about seven miles from Memphis into West Memphis. So to give you a little bit of a geographical perspective, they had a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus that's about the same distance of Memphis to West Memphis. There are no cars or traffic to worry about. They're just walking along a dusty road and they're stirred up. It's Sunday morning early and they've just gotten the word from the women who had been to the tomb to anoint the dead body of Jesus that the tomb was empty. And this sounds absolutely crazy, but they got the testimony. They also heard that the men thought this was ridiculous and totally incredible. And so the men ran to the tomb, Peter himself sticking his head, stooping down to the tomb and confirms that there is nobody there. So the men are walking along the road to Emmaus 
And they're talking about these things intently. And I love this because this is such a picture of how Jesus many times will just sort of divinely interrupt the course of your life on a daily basis. Look at this. Luke 24, 15. Put up the scripture for me. It says, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Oh, come on. Help me preach a little bit this morning. Come on. How many of you know there's some times in the difficult seasons that you're in that you're so stirred up all you can do is talk about the problems that you're facing and how things didn't turn out the way you thought they would and you're walking down a path of, uh, of complete hopelessness and something happens. Somebody comes along and starts walking beside you. Whether it's a friend who whispers the name of Jesus to you or somebody who brings some encouragement or injects some faith. Jesus showed up on the road. That adds a whole different meaning to if two or three are gathered together in my name, then there I will be in the midst of them. See, let me tell you something. Sometimes when you can't buy some encouragement, all you've got to do is just begin to talk about who Jesus is and he will show up and walk with you. It's Easter. Come on, give me a little break. I'm going to preach. But they didn't recognize him. Sometimes in the dark confusion of the stuff that's swirling around my own life, he is attempting to break through and speak to me, and I don't even recognize it even to this day. So before I'm critical of these brothers, I have to realize that Jesus cares about the stuff that's weighing my heart down, and he asks them a question in verse 17. He says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along the way? You'll find that in your notes there. Jesus cares about the otherwise mundane details of your lives. And the miracle in the mundane that happens here on this road to Emmaus is the amazing fact that when they start to talk about Jesus, He shows up just to see what they had to say. But they didn't recognize Him. And so they're, they're saying, they're telling Jesus Himself who they don't know is there walking with them all about what happened to Jesus. Oh, don't even you know? Can, is it possible? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't found out about what all has happened to this amazing teacher, this man who was beloved of God, this man who was respected by the people, did powerful miracles among us, but our leading priests and our religious folk handed him over to the Romans to be condemned to death, crucified. What a sad place. And Jesus, I love it. He asks them some questions again. He says, what things? And so they start to describe this. And, and, and so the story begins to change a little bit. He says, but the, 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 the disciples on the road to Emmaus basically said, but you know, we've heard this story from some women who showed up at the tomb that said that he's alive. And, and we just don't, we really don't even know what to do because we're so confused. It is just seemingly so too good to be true. Jesus says, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Verse 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now the, the event in the garden was the hinge point of the women's lives. Jesus comes walking along the disciples on the road to Emmaus 
But he's talking about a bigger hinge point. It's not just something radically changing and transforming in these two disciples' lives. Jesus takes them all the way from Genesis to Malachi and shows them that this one that they're mourning over, all of this has been said all along, prophesied from generation to generation from every prophet who stood and said the word of the Lord and declared it. And literally what he was saying was, this one that you are mourning is alive. And he says, this one of which you are concerned is the one that all of history has been longing for. He becomes the whole hinge point of history that doesn't just radically transform your life, but he will radically transform and change the whole world. Come on, somebody. So they're walking along and it's, it's a little later in the day. As a matter of fact, it's starting to get to be about dusk. And it, it said they begged him to stay the night with them. Please, please don't leave us, but stay. And so Jesus stayed. They still don't recognize him. And they sit down at dinner together on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And they sit down together with the disciples having traveled the road to Emmaus and they're in a home together. And, and at the meal, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks the bread, and he blesses the bread, and he gives them the bread. And at that moment, in the breaking of the bread, they, they had a, a divine recollection. Jesus was revealed in the breaking of the bread. Come on now, don't, don't, don't lose you here. Stay with me right now. Because it had just been... Saturday night, Friday night, Thursday night where they had gathered together and Jesus had sat around the table with them and he took the bread and he broke the bread and he, he blessed it and then he broke the bread and he gave it to, him, to them. And in that moment, on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, the disciples were sitting with him in the house and all of a sudden their eyes were open and they realized that it was him and he disappeared. And they said, oh, how our hearts burned within us when we walked, walked along the road and talked about this Jesus, this Savior, and we didn't even know that it was actually Him who was walking along with us. Because let me tell you something, sometimes when you pray, God will show up in a way that you didn't expect Him. Come on, somebody, are you hearing me this morning? These disciples are weary and worn out, but all of a sudden they have a whole new injection of faith. You talk about something's got some protein in it because they got excited and turned around and walked back to Jerusalem that night in the dark. Brings us to the third vignette and then I'm finished this evening. They're gathered together and Jesus appears to the disciples who now, it's not just the, the word of the women, it's not just Peter who's stooped into the tomb and seen that there's nothing there, but it's those who've come back from Emmaus and the disciples have gathered together in a room and they are talking about everything that's taken place all day long. Can it be? Is this possible? This is just absolutely overwhelming that we could think about this happened and this is what I want you to see. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. The disciples in the room together, and they're terrified. They've hoped that it was true, but then when it really happens, come on, sometimes, how many of you know that when you pray and then when God actually answers your question, sometimes it will actually make you step back and go, oh my gosh. Oh Lord, have mercy. I cannot, I, I just, it's, like, it's almost like you didn't even pray in faith and you didn't even expect it to happen. And then God just slams you with one. I love it. So they're standing there and they're frightened. And Jesus says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? I love that. That is so good. He says, here, touch me. This is, I'm not a ghost. 
Come on, put your, put your hand in my side. There's the hole right there. But touch my hands. This is, this is a body. Come on, this is not a ghost. I'm standing here in your presence. Touch, this is the undeniable proof. Believe this. Take hold of this. And then I love it. Jesus is just so, just so real. He says, you got something to eat? <laughs> now that's just not religious enough for some folks, I know. But you, you guys have anything here to eat? Read it. It's in your own Bible. And so they give him a piece of fish and they stand there and watch him eat it. Because they're so overwhelmed that the Savior who was dead is now alive and they've touched him and he's, he's very real and he's not just a specter, he's not just a ghost. And this is what is the beautiful thing. The Bible says in verse 45, and I'm finished, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Three times in these three vignettes you see the work of angels, you see Jesus himself, and you see Jesus with the disciples who opened their minds, who opened their eyes, caused them to remember things that he said. I just want to say to you this morning as I close this message and as we walk out of this place and you go wherever you're going to have Easter dinner with your family, hide some eggs, snap some pictures, hug some folks, love on them. Remember today that the, the event that became a hinge point that radically changed a few ladies' lives, that radically changed some disciples on the road to Emmaus, that literally became the fulfillment of every promise that exists in the whole Old Covenant. Jesus became the climax, the crescendo, the complete fulfillment of all of that Himself. You today have the privilege and the opportunity for your life in this moment to be radically changed. You may have walked in here B.C. before Christ, but you can walk out of here A.D. in the year of our Lord where God starts something new in your life. And the new creation is not just a fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. It's not about a, uh, a heavenly hope somewhere way out there, but it becomes the reality of heaven in your heart right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we stand in this place and worship before you, we've sung the words, forever reign. Forever, Lord, you are the lamb who has overcome. Jesus, thank you that you took away the sins of the world. But Lord, right now in this place, we, we bow our hearts before you and we ask you, O oh God, to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds with understanding. The scriptures are clear. Holy Spirit, you're walking these aisles now and you're calling your own sheep by name. There's someone in this place, I believe with all of my heart, that the Lord is tapping on the shoulder and He's saying, you're mine. Come on, come on in the fold. Cross the line of faith. Put your trust in me because I purchased you. I bought you. I will change your life. I'll radically transform it. Step into a whole newness of life. If that's you this morning, you recognize that it's not a thing that you can do to grit your teeth or, 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 or grip the arms of the plane trying to Make it fly. You can't make your life do right in anything in your own strength. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. The wages of sin is death. And the devil is a faithful paymaster. But the gift of God, the gift, the gift, it's free. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This Sunday that we celebrate Jesus Christ as the hinge point of history where everything radically changed, it can radically change your life. If that's you and you'd like to be included in this prayer, just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? I see those two. 
anyone else this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of bringing this word in this place. All of the saints of God join our hearts together for these two who have raised their hands. In Jesus' name, thank you that you've already done the work that paid the price. Holy Spirit, you are doing the work right now in their hearts. Those of you that raised your hands, pray this prayer in your heart. Say this, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Forgive my sins. Take my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I turn from my past and I turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together, saints, and let's give the Lord praise this morning. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Listen, if that was you today and you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've stepped across that line, please take just a moment as we dismiss the service today and see the lady at the Fresh Start counter. We want to give you a free copy of the New Living Translation of Scripture. That's the one I was preaching out of this morning. It is a very readable, very easily understood version of the Bible. We encourage you to open up maybe the Gospel of John. It happens to be on page 77. Grab that, read a chapter a day. Don't worry about the stuff you don't understand, but just begin to apply what you do. The Holy Spirit will begin to take care of the rest, I promise you. We're excited. We want to celebrate the, the new life that Jesus Christ has begun in you. And so we just say to you today, welcome to the family of God. Praise God. Listen, if you're a guest this morning, we're not asking you to participate in this closing portion of what we're doing. And that's where we bring to the Lord His tithes and our offerings it's our last act of worship. If you're a covenant member, local, regular attender here, find the orange envelope there on your seat. We're going to conclude the service with this last song as we celebrate today. It says, God's not dead. He's still alive. We, we give to the Lord His tithe, our offering. If you're a guest this morning, please take your connection card with you into the foyer. We want to give you a gift and then ask you to come back and be with us anytime you'd like to.